0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. We're here on Scorebox with Arabila Gamedia. myself, Steve Sedgwick. There he is, in vision. I uh, didn't know if I was going to let him be in vision. OK, welcome to Scorebox. Uh, these are your headlines. At Renault posting a record annual operating margin on revenue of over 50 billion euros, whilst the French carmaker revs up its dividend payout. We're going to speak to the CEO, Luca De Meo. That is a first on interview at 9:40 Central European Time. Airbus posting a rise in full year results, boosted by record orders. The French plane maker also announcing a special divvy. Uh, we're going to hear from the CEO, Guillaume foley later today. We'll make that one 1100 CET. Again, first on CNBC.
0: And the S&P 500 reclaiming the 5,000-point mark as well, as Wall Street recouping some of its losses with chipmaker NVIDIA briefly overtaking Alphabet on market cap. And Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway trimming its stake in Apple, ramping up its investment in Chevron and asking regulators to keep a new stock purchase secret in its latest 13 f filings.
1: So, we need to talk about Commerzbank. Bank. It's, it's a fascinating one. Um, I find it really fascinating. It's one of those banks that got absolutely pummeled during the crisis. It was down to three euros, something. Then it had a really, really strong rally on the hopes that its turnaround strategy was working. Got up to around about 12 euros at its high of the last 12 months. But it's just slipped back a little bit in recent months to around about 10.48. There we go. And you can see that. So, it, we're off the highs by a significant margin. Uh, the numbers themselves have just hit the wires so let me just uh, update you on some of those so they are talking about an operating result of 542 million euros fourth quarter Uh, that is slightly lower than the 549 expected net interest income 2.13 billion euros Uh, again the estimate was 2.0 Eight, so again, mildly better than expected there. So revenue, mildly underwhelming compared with expectations. Operating result, mildly underwhelming, but the net interest income, uh, slight improvement. When it comes to the pre-tax profit line, uh, again, Slightly under expectations of 537 million versus 549 expected. The company uh, is talking about a um, net profit above 2023 levels in the outlook for 2024. Uh, payout ratio of at least 70% targeted, but more, not more than net profit. Um, And they are saying also, I think there's a line they're saying, uh, oh, the strategy is clearly working uh, over at the group as well. Here we go. Strategy is delivering, uh, increases net profit for 2023 to 2.2 billion euros. So look, you've had this huge rally come off their highs and yet it still trades at a price to book, which is the key measure for the sector, of 043 have a think about that. Once again, you've quadrupled in your valley, uh, uh, your your levels, your your valuation, from your March 2020 lows, and yet you're still only trading at a price to book of 0.4. I find that fascinating about this sector as well. So that's enough numbers for now. We'll get into the weeds with this one with Anetta, who joins us. And Anetta, you're going to be leading our interview with uh, Bettina Orlop later on as well. What do you think of the numbers?
2: Well, I think the numbers are actually a mixed bag. If you look at um, that, they are even more depending on net interest income. That probably uh, makes investors even more wary about the outlook for the stock because net interest income, yes, it's stronger than expected, but it also shows that the bank is a complete play on higher interest rates. So the moment the ECB is going to cut rates, uh, the bank also will start to earn less. They are doing more to build up their asset management unit. Recently, they uh, they acquired Aquila Capital, which is a uh, German-funded uh, uh, asset manager, which is, which is active primarily in the ESG region, so green investments. So they are doing more to actually search for other Uh, avenues of income, I would say. But still, for now, they are highly depending on the interest rate environment. So, it's a poor play on interest rates. It has always been a poor play on interest rate, this bank. So, if you look at the PEs, um, just to add another ratio here. Um, They are trading actually higher than Deutsche Bank. Um, Only French banks are actually valued uh, higher currently based on current uh, earnings. Um, UBS is only trading at 3 PE, for example. Commerzbank has a uh, 6.2 valuation. So I would say they're kind of in the middle when it comes to the pricing. Um, There are more question marks hinging uh, or kind of lingering over the bank's outlook. A, it's um, what is Manfred Knopf, the current CEO, doing after his contract will expire by 2024 or five. This is not a topic, at least that's what the <clears throat> supervisory Board currently is saying. Then also, what is happening with the government stake? The recent share buyback program hasn't been, the, the government hasn't participated, so their stake even has increased slightly. Um, it is widely rumored that Christian Lindner, the current finance minister, at some point will decide to actually exit Commerzbank to raise more money, but at the same time, that would only be able, they would only be able to sell it at a loss. They need a share price averaging some, somewhere around 28 euro we are far away from that to actually exit Commerzbank with a um, with a profit, and then also the return on equity target of eleven percent by twenty twenty seven is yeah a challenge I would say, and it's probably interesting to hear more how they want to achieve it, given that the interest rates are going to. Um, to be cut at some point um, because of the, of course, of the inflation coming down. And talking about the price-to-book valuation, I think a lot of concerns uh, about the economic situation of Germany and Europe as such are priced in here. We have risk provision by the bank, which are not yet probably there where investors or the market wants to see it. Commerzbank has the biggest loan book against the German Mittelstand of all German banks and that also means that of course they are very depending on how that the recession is going to develop and how many companies will not be able to deliver on their loans. So I guess there are so many uncertainties, and that is uh, what uh, probably is the reason of that low price-to-book valuation. But I think it's just a common thing for many banks in Europe and in, in Germany especially.
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I'm not going to buy that. Actually, I, I, I'd love to have a great okay. big debate with you. But, but as far as I can see, if you think you've got this exposure to these Mittelstand or whatever the exposure is in Spain, in Italy, in the United Kingdom, it's the same story here as well. If that's yes. the case, mm-hmm. then why not mark down your book value? If you're so worried about the value of these loans to these Mittelstand and others, why don't you? Mark, I'm going to give you a right to reply, um, uh, Anetta. You got. No.
2: I, I, totally, I, I totally agree with you, Steve. I mean, as a bank, you should actually really kind of look at what happens out there and then you should adjust your values. But I think they are not going to do it because clearly they will be very proud today to present stellar numbers. But the truth is, it's only going so well because of high interest rates and probably loads which are not priced correctly to the market environment.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Um, I don't know what's happening to me. I'm giving someone else the last word on these things. It, it really isn't like me. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell, tell you what we'll do. We'll give the last word to the CFO of Commerce <laughs> Bank. Lovely to speak to you, Annette. Uh, Bettina Orlop, uh, first on CNBC at 8CT. By the way, that's not a trend that's going to be throughout the show, you know. You I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: yeah. going to fight for it this time <laughs> uh, okay. around. Let's see if that works. Oh, Renault. <laughs> Let's continue with these earnings results, right? Renault posting a record operating margin in 2023 at 7.9%, but it is forecast for 2024 uh, to be a little bit more restrained, coming in at 40 40 basis points lower. The French automaker posted a lower-than-expected €2.3 billion net income for the year on more than €50 billion revenue in its first report since Scrapping plans to list its Ampère unit in January. Now, Renault says it will launch 10 new vehicles this year, and has upped its dividend by one euro sixty per share to one euro eighty five we'll be hearing from the group ceo that's luca de at 940 cet don't miss that conversation it's a first on cnbc now to airbus which has reported 65.4 billion euros in full year revenue that's boosted by a strong order intake the plane maker said it delivered 735 commercial aircraft last year and expects to make 800 deliveries this year. Charlotte joining us uh, for this one. Now, Charlotte, we will be talking, of course, with the CEO a little bit later on as well. Um, but 800 deliveries, better than last year. The question is, uh, are they taking advantage then of any slip-ups uh, from Boeing?
3: Well, certainly that could be a window of opportunity for them. But really, the issue for Airbus is actually churning out those planes fast enough. There is demand. There is not an issue for them. Those airlines want. There is a crunch in terms of uh, planes available for airlines that want more planes, they want more fuel-efficient planes. The problem for Airbus is actually getting those planes out fast enough. And that's despite all the big supply chain issues that they've been facing. They say they're still facing a complex operating environment. So they did beat their target for last year. Remember, they had a target of 720 planes delivered they delivered 735 so they did be the target something that they didn't manage to do the year before because of low supply chain issues so now they want to up this to 800 this year so it will be a challenge to reach that target but they said they are on track for their production ramp up because that's the target that they have for 26 to get more planes out and they want to put out 75 A320 the best seller plane by, by 25 per month at the moment they produce about 50 so they have to ramp up quite aggressively still yet and of course with that they have to work with a lot of their suppliers, a myriad of suppliers that they have to work with and bring along with them. So that's the, that's the issue that they have to deal with. But so they have this uh, more ambitious target, of course, for 24. Then uh, looking back again at the numbers, as you were saying, revenue, 65.4 billion, up 11 percent. They announced a dividend of 1.8 euros per share and a special dividend of one euro per share. And one thing that is interesting as well is uh, the charges that have been taking the space business. And we know that's an area where they've been facing, of course, fierce competition from uh, the U.S. in particular. That's something they want to turn around over the next two or three years. So they're going to work because they put they had uh, over 600 million uh, written off last year just down to the to the space business. That's something, of course, that we'll talk about with uh, the CEO. Now we'll talk, of course, as well of uh, the, the, the troubles that we see at like competitor Boeing. We noticed this massive duopoly there, whether that's an opportunity for Airbus. We heard from the CEO of Airbus uh, from Dubai at the, earlier this week when they said, look, this makes us very humble. And that's a bit of a concern out there with those plane makers under so much pressure to churn out those planes as fast as possible. What does that mean, of course, for quality control? And can we see more of the issues that we saw with the Alaska Airlines there? So that's we we'll we put all this to the CEO, as you were saying, at 11CT. We'll speak first on with Guillaume Fourin. we We'll talk about all these issues, guys.
1: Super duper. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, I'm just noticing the analysts already uh, putting out a few statements. This one looks pretty positive from uh, the team over at Jeffries. I've actually just sent you the one in case you need it, Charlotte. Okay, right, coming up on the show. Not this she will. Uh coming up on the show, uh, mixed messages from the Fed as I still Arabili's read.
0: <laughs> we actually just talked about this this was meant to go to me. So I'm having the last word on this one. So you said it wouldn't be happening. Get Here it is. It. <laughs> <laughs> coming up on the show, mixed messages from the Fed as policymakers diverge on when markets can expect that all important first rate cut. Plus, We'll get the latest in a trio of temperature checks on the UK economy and an answer to whether the country can skirt a technical recession. And it's another busy earnings day here in Europe. Don't miss our interview with Commerzbank CFO Bettina Orlop. That's coming up at 8 a.m. CT.
1: Um, Really, really big news out of DSM Feminic this morning, actually. Um, There are sales figures and all that as well, but the big news as well as that is that it's going to carve out its animal nutrition and health business from the group. Uh, Full year uh, group uh, sales came in at 12.3 billion euros for the year, down 7% on 2022, whilst adjusted EBITDA fell by more than a fifth. Um, well, let's get into both aspects. Dimitri Tafriz is the CEO of DSM Feminic and joins us now. Dimitri, really, really always a pleasure. Um, are you throwing in the tail on, uh, on vitamins? Is, is that it? Because it just seems to me that one business is going really well, the other is really struggling. Good morning to you, sir.
4: Good morning. Uh, no, absolutely not. We're not throwing in the towel. In fact, we've decided that we uh, we basically want separate out, to separate out animal nutrition and health to secure their future. You know that uh, we we have addressed the vitamin issue already early last year with uh, with good results already ongoing with uh, with 10 million savings in uh, in, in quarter four with about 100 million for next year. But, I mean, we have accelerated the uh, strategic review under the current market circumstances, certainly with vitamins ongoing. And, uh, and that had uh, sort of an outcome with a belief that we feel that ANH is best served in a, in a separate new ownership structure um, the volatility is slightly higher than what we have on, on the consumer human part of our business, as well as um, the value chain is expecting a little more on, 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 on the network, on sites and premix, which is a little bit more capital intense. And to make sure that we have a huge, good, good growth future for animal nutrition and health, uh, we've, uh, we basically believe that um, under a new ownership structure in a separating out, this is best secured to create sustainable farming for the future.
1: I hear you, Dimitri, but what about all those amazing arguments I've heard from you in the past, from Fike over the many years as well, about the benefits of having an integrated group as well? I can see the the consultants knocking at your door saying, oh, some of the parts, Dimitri, some of the parts. But the fact of the matter is you had a good integrated business for many years. Why break it if it's not broken?
4: Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you've seen that the volatility in vitamins have always been there. Our strategy always has been to reduce the vitamin exposure to our business. Remember, uh, we had 45% 10 years ago. We reduced that to 25%. With the merger, we reduced that to 15%. So we always were aware of the volatility of the vitamins. Uh, with this separating out, um, we will bring that to 7%, 8%. Uh, and we have a target to to reduce that further to the only high end of the of the vitamin space. And therefore, also securing sustainable farming for the future. I think there is a fantastic growth part for animal nutrition and health, but in a in a different new ownership structure.
1: Um, so, just just to confer, so again, I'm, I know I'm going into the weeds a bit on this one, and we'll get onto the numbers in a moment. But Dimitri, which part of the business will you be with?
4: I uh, certainly stay with DSM Finnis, so the really consumer ingredient human space company. Ivo Landsbergen, who is currently heading the animal nutrition and health unit. He will be the CEO of the animal nutrition and health part. Um, This is a process which takes a year, one and a half year. We said that um, we need to prepare separation, also follow the right procedures and discussions. Uh, We expect the separating out somewhere around 2025, throughout 2025.
0: Uh, Dimitri, good morning to you. How are you seeing input costs then in a time where geopolitical factors and macro factors are still pushing up prices globally?
4: Yeah, interesting is that we do see on some of the categories input costs are normalizing, but we also see input costs, for instance, on naturals, on naturals ingredients going up. Um, Just to give you a quick note, for instance, on on vitamins, and I said it before, 75% of the vitamins in the world are produced in China. Um, You could debate whether that is a a, a good sense. We leave that to the market, but uh, we are one of the few who also produce in, in, in Europe, um, and that obviously has something to do with the geopolitical uh, climate. Um, this is something which is not being factored in into the vitamins yet, and we feel that maybe over time that could play out.
0: Speak about China. Has that uh, development uh, and growth underwhelmed a little bit, particularly in the second half of the year?
4: Yeah I think already after the relief of of covid restrictions um we expected a a quick recovery a bit like in the, in in the US and in Europe uh, that didn't happen um, remember that um, China is the, the biggest animal protein market in the world. If that is very slow and recovering, that had an impact on, on demand, that had an impact on certainly the outlet of vitamins locally produced in China with 75%. And that has basically put like quite some pressure on pricing on vitamins in, 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 in total. Um, we do see some recovery, but very small step by step. That's also why we took actions on the cost front to make vitamins more competitive in that area and adapting a little bit our capacity. And we're not the only one in the field where current pricing uh, are definitely not sustainable for the long term. Not for us, neither for the industry. Uh,
0: So does that mean prices drop off then, you think, as well, onto your consumers uh, later this year?
4: Um, I I think we have input prices, some of the categories go up, but some also um, basically go down. Um, It is still a bit insecure on how that develops, but overall... I think that the cost input will, will normalize with a bit of imbalancing depending on the categories.
1: Dimitri, I've learned more about burping cows from your company than than, than any other source over the last five, five to ten years. And I feel privileged that you have all informed me about burping cows. But but I want to know if the trend, the structural changes are being challenged at the moment compared with just the cyclical problem. When I look at AH and to, to a certain degree HNC as well, it's where the big declines in the pro forma performance are are as well in that business. The structural story, I presume, remains intact or is it being challenged?
4: the no, structural story is absolutely there. I mean, with the current setup, we really focus on on, on consumer ingredients for perfumer and beauty, taste, texture and health, but also H&C. If you look at the business of H&C, we're still talking about an EBITDA percentage of over 17%. And that with the vitamins in that H&C, um, definitely impacting their, their result. With the current separating out, we will also reduce that vitamin exposure for h with the vitamin uh, program, transformation program ongoing. Um, H&C is, is definitely in in the spot of consumer ingredients with a lot of synergy. Remember that when we did the merger, the synergy of 500 million top line was in P&B, perfumer and beauty, in taste, texture and health and in h So very synergetic as a, as a setup. Nevertheless, focus will make will make growth and i think that is what we've decided today
1: all right and, and just one on the on the broader environment as well uh, I, I like yourself as a veteran of many cops as well I, i'm just sensing at the periphery there's so many problems in the world that actually there's a bit of what can i say sustainability fatigue net zero fatigue in certain parts as well do you see any of that or, or actually are you still as positive as ever from what you're seeing from your customers and and, and dare i say it from your whole uh, ecosystem
4: Yeah, the interesting is that I do feel the overall sentiment, so I echo what you just said. If I look at our innovation pipeline, the order pipeline of customers, more natural, more biodegradable, bioscience, sustainability, long-lasting is absolutely a key of our innovation headroom. So uh, I understand the macroeconomic and the echoing of it. I don't see it in our portfolio, and I think that's really, really, really good news for the world.
1: Always a pleasure speaking to you and um, plenty more time to pour over the split uh, before it happens next year. Thank you, Dimitri. Nice to see you as ever. Uh, Dimitri De Vries, who is the CEO of DSM Feminic. Right. Uh, Fed speakers were out in full force overnight. In a speech, the Vice Chair for Supervision, Michael Barr, sounded a cautious (laughs) tone... How many times can they say the (laughs) same thing? Uh, Sounded a cautious tone, saying the bumpy path back to 2% inflation means the jury is still out on whether the U.S. economy will achieve a soft landing. Okay. Uh, Meanwhile, the Chicago Fed President, Austin Goolsbee, I don't think he's voting, uh, said slightly higher inflation for a few months would still be consistent with a path back to the central bank's 2% goal. He said the current policy stance is, quote, restrictive and he doesn't support waiting until 12-month inflation has already hit 2% to begin to start cutting rates. Um, very interesting, Arabile. Despite all the concern over that hotter inflation print the other day, after today's uh, move, or yesterday's move in the markets, we're barely down for the
0: week on some of these indices. Yes, yeah, 100%, right? So it was Pretty much a minor blip, some might say, then as they took in exactly what was being noted out of that uh, inflation print. Uh, and as you made note of there, Austin Gouldsby really speaking about the Fed still being on track to hit that 2% target later in the year, even if inflation does uh, bubble above uh, its current levels for a little bit of time right now. So very interestingly, we saw the S&P 500 then claim back that 5,000 point mark, so a rally across the board then. Uh, we get back uh, to what might be seen as the new normal for this year so far. Of course, we saw a sell-off on Tuesday, but that retraced uh, a little bit then yesterday. Lyft saw its shares soar, in fact, 35% there after that profit beat and despite the mistake then in those uh, numbers. Then Uber even lifting uh, 15% after that $7 billion share buyback announcement. So significant enough on that front. Meanwhile, NVIDIA overtaking Alphabet uh, for a short while then uh, as the third most valuable company. $1.825 trillion was that valuation print then out of that one. Of course, we're still looking at January retail sales and weekly jobless claims then out of the U.S. for later on in the week. On to the Treasuries then. Uh, We saw yields ease yesterday with the 10-year around five basis points lower, while the two-year was around eight basis points lower then as well to hit 4.57 and 4.24 is where we're at. Of course, this after having risen 15 basis points after that inflation print out of the United States is pretty much what we saw, all after comments from Fed uh, chairman out of Chicago, uh, Austin Goulds.
3: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
0: For
1: more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.